there's never been a better time to find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app and place a $10 money line wager on any NBA playoff game. If either team hits a three-pointer in the game, you'll win $200 in free bets. Just use code CHAMPION200 when you make your first bet. Sign up now and discover BetMGM's daily promotions, boosted odds specials, and more. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if either team hits a three in any NBA playoff game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. You can't get much for five bucks these days. Unless you go to Wendy's for a $5 biggie bag. Get your choice of double stack, junior bacon cheeseburger, or crispy chicken BLT. Plus four-piece nugs, fries, and a drink. All for just five bucks. That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're going to feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price of participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Hello, listeners. This is Jim, the Keys bartender. It is once again another beautiful day here in the Keys. I hope you're having a good day. And uh, it made me think about uh, how the process today for me getting up and getting ready things, uh, makes me think of all the things that I do all the time. And today's my long day, so I have a routine many people some people don't have routines they just get up and wing it by ear meaning every day is a different day and truly every day is really a different day but when it comes to getting ready we fall into these routines I fall in the routines of what I do and and one of the things is I just try to prioritize what's the most important things I have to do and it becomes even more important to me as I get older because I want to feel good the rest of the day so I prioritize things. And one of the big for me now, and it's huge, and I don't know how you value it, is getting enough sleep. I know when I get plenty of sleep that I'm at the, depending on what my physical health is that day, I get enough sleep, I'm at my optimum of my health thing. And I, I feel pretty good. I work out really hard to be able to maintain, I was going to say a high level, but a moderate level of performance. And for me, the amount of sleep is seven to eight hours. And over the last couple of years, I've been using smartwatches to monitor my sleep, see how much, uh, the, um, how much sleep I'm getting. I don't know necessarily know how they do it. They check your pulse, a change in your pulse. And they get, whether you're in deep sleep or, you know, in light sleep and things like that, they measure all these things. But I know when I get anywhere from seven to eight hours, it's the best for me. <clears throat> I feel my best when I have that. 
not not much more. And definitely, once I get under six hours, I start feeling the effects of it. It's so different than when I was a younger person. Where, yes, I could get by in four or five hours. I didn't like it. I could physically just tough through it, feel pretty good the rest of the day. But that that's one of the major things. And then eating. Got to get enough, especially on these long days. And when I say long days, I go in around 10 o'clock. And sometimes I'm there till 11. That's a long day for me. I used to work longer days. I used to be able to work like 16 hours. From 7, 7 to 12. And that was... I would like to say it's a piece of cake, but it's more than a piece of cake. It was kind of tough when I was younger, but I enjoy I enjoyed what I was doing. And I guess when you're so busy, you're not even thinking about it. You're having fun doing it. But the routines now, as I get older, it's it just affects my performance, or at least I see it more while I'm working. So part, I get up... Uh, now that the you know, you know daughter's getting up for high school and stuff like that, either I or my wife take her, and usually we have to be out the door by seven, so we're up at six. So if I get home after after ten o'clock, there's virtually no chance I'm going to get eight hours sleep. I can't, I just can't sleep past the alarm that they wake up on, and I got to hope for maybe a nap or something like that to get me back to zero next day, but. Wednesday's my long day, so that's the only the only day I'd really have to night I have to be concerned about is Tuesdays. So I I do all those things, get a sleep, get a little the calories I need to get started for the day, and then I start taking care of the business, paying bills, doing things like everyone else. Where my routine seems to veer off to something, I do. Uh, some people start their day off with prayer. I. I try to start out with meditation or maybe a podcast or my 12-step meetings I go to for AA. And it sets me on the right course for the rest of the day. It makes me think about how I want to behave and what I'm going to do and things like that. And also today, Wednesday, is my skip day. When I call skip day, Wednesday's the day that I never do any workout. I should do my stretching though. The one day I I give my body the rest. The rest it needs to recover. And then tomorrow's another workout day. But that's pretty much my rough outline of the day. And here I am. I'm probably going to be able to put in a podcast, do a meditation. I had, I do some light entertainment. I just recently saw this movie uh, that was just released on streaming on HBO, The Batman, with Robert Pattinson playing the Batman. It was an excellent movie. I'm not a movie show, but I'm just saying I was I, I enjoyed it. It's dark, but it's also well-made, and I like the car, characters. You ever watch one of those movies that are really dark, and you, you're not depressed about it? It was so dark, the whole movie, and then at the end, there was kind of a little hope. At the end. So they uh, they did a good job. So I watched a little of that just to watch it again, watch some of the parts. 
of it. I thought it was all, I, I loved Zoe Kravitz in it and um, the guy that played Commissioner Gordon or Jim Gordon. And uh, so I did do these things. I, I get out of my head instead of watching news. And news used to be a part of my routine. Now when I get I get the news, I don't need to get really in deep. I'm get I get the big news, the big picture, things that happen. I don't drill down on the minutia on the I try not to drill down on the minutia of the news because it's depressing and I don't want to focus on that. I just want to get hit the ground running, be kind of positive. So Every so often, it took me 50-something years to figure out a routine. And some people never get a routine and never figure out the best way to run. When I say run, run this machine of ours, our body. There was this character in this uh, newspaper cartoon, Dagwood Bumpstead. And yes, that was his name, Dagwood Bumpstead. And he was kind of like a hapless schmuck. He's kind of schmucky. And that was a funny... He, he, everything he does was kind of schmucky. But wasn't rude. He wasn't that. He was kind of a good-natured guy. But he, he wasn't very adept at anything. And every morning, he had this beautiful wife. Blondie was the name. Blondie. It's funny. That was the name of the cartoon. I just remember. But Dagwood was kind of like the main character in it. And Dagwood and Blondie was kind of his, it's kind of uh, anti-feminist because Blondie was kind of a nitwit. And, but it was the cartoon from, I think the 40s, it could have been as early as the 30s, but 40s through the 90s, it could still be going on in some form or they're just probably showing just reruns of the uh, cartoon because it was on, you know, it was over 40 years. So 40 years, 52 weeks, there's over, you know, I think it was every day. It was a daily cartoon. So there could be like a 10,000 different versions of it. But <clears throat> every morning, they had a show in the 40s and 50s too, I think. At least the 50s. And I don't remember the 50s. I just remember that it was available in the 70s, the show. Okay? That doesn't make me 90 years old. Uh, I always had a problem with people say, well, this happened before I was born. You know, a lot of shit happened. Almost everything that ever happened, happened before you were born. The lion's share of things that happened to human beings happened before you were born. So if you want to just live and say, well, that happened before, you're ignoring a full swath of human development. So I digress and I'm back. Dagwood Bunce said, the hapless husband of Blondie. Blondie who was kind of portrayed as a nitwit. And Bumstead was a, a very unambitious soul that when he woke up, he always woke up with very little time. He wouldn't realize how little time he has when he worked. He'd just be taking his time. And all of a sudden he realized his bus or his ride, I don't know if he carpooled in, was ready to leave. I think he carpooled in or he took the bus or something like that. But he was always running late. And he always have barely made it into work if he made it on time at all, I think. Because I wasn't, I was a child when I watched his regular, but he was always rushing to take the time. 
40 years the character was doing. You figure in 40 years there would be a time, and it probably was a special episode. There was probably a very special episode where he got up early and went there, went to work and got plenty of sleep or whatever. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know what caused him to be late. You know, Bondi, Blondie was a nice looking woman. He may have been busy the night before. I don't know. <clears throat> but he always did that same routine. It was always kind of a panic frenzy, him getting ready, eating, drinking, throwing down a cup of coffee, drinking, uh, to- eating toast, drinking toast, no, eating coffee and drinking toast, yeah. And that's, that was his daily routine. How would you, I mean, that frenzy of getting ready, I mean, would you, is that your routine? That could be the way you get your heart pumping and things like that. But after a while, wouldn't your heart stop getting pump, pumping if you're always late? Because you just say, well, I'm always late. That's what I do. I'm changing part team. And this is not about, I'm not discussing that, but I'm discussing the routines that we have and the things that we do. It's kind of like the optimum operating uh, flow chart for our system, who we are. Several years ago, I went on a cruise. My family and I went on a cruise with two other groups of friends. Our children were friends. Or my child and their children, or they had at least one child that was friends with each other. And we all decided to go on a cruise together because we were friendly with each other. Now, we all live within two miles of each other. Or at the time we did. And we were leaving on the same ship. But no one considered leaving together, not because we're selfish, not because we don't care about the other people. It's because we knew that at least one of the couples had a routine of never giving themselves enough time. They're, they weren't ones to run out door. Now, I'm, saying, I'm not saying they aren't early risers. They just don't like to be someplace early. And we all know people like that. I'm not talking about late people. That's on them. That's the way they're used to doing things. That's fine. So when we went on the cruise, we decided to go separately because I'm more comfortable arriving early because you have to get checked out, your passports and situated, your, you know, your, your cards and your tickets or whatever they're going to give you and stuff. And during the ports of call, I really enjoyed and I was drinking at the time, but we, I mentioned on previous episodes, I really enjoyed watching the last call for boarding. And that was always kind of like an event on the ship for people. I think it was kind of, it is, I, I understand it's kind of mean-spirited, but it's also kind of interesting. And a glimpse at human nature to watch last call at a port of call. When I say last call, I'm not talking about drinks. I'm talking about last call before they pull the plank, the last plank that you walk up to get on the ship. Generally, they have these big ramps and they have kind of a pseudo custom setup. They have a customs setup at the port when you come in and out. So you show your passport if you're in a foreign country or your ID if you're in a country that's within inside the political borders of the U.S. And... You, you would go through the, that one on the pier and then you'd get on the ship and they had ship's crew 
going through making sure you're not bringing booze and all these things because they have restrictions on bottles of booze and certain things you could bring bring back and to check you're, you're the person that's supposed to be on the ship. And then as time gets closer and closer, they start closing down those entries and they have multiple entry points on, on some of the bigger ships. They close it off the one and at the very bottom, the, the, the smallest one, the easiest one, they can just pull the plank in, you know, in a moment's notice. And they'll say, let's say the port, you leave at four. You know, that's four o'clock is when we leave. They will pull those planks at four o'clock, generally. Doesn't matter. And at around 20 of four, it's a good idea to get a rail seat on one of the open decks and have yourself your cocktail choice or coffee or whatever, stuff like that, sit with some friends and watch the people coming. And you see it. Now you see the people that, well, you know, 20 minutes before they leave, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But you never, depends on how far away. If you're just checking out a gift shop and you say, hey, we got to leave. It's 20 minutes. If we get in line, you know, they're not going to leave us behind if we're in line, if there's a big line. And there's generally not a big line because most people are on board already a half hour before. So you start seeing people drips and drabs. And then there's a dip where there's nobody. What do you mean? Nobody arriving. And then right five, ten minutes before, you see taxis or carts zooming up, zooming up to the port. And you see people getting out. And some people are walking. Other people are running. Now, walking, they're confident. But sometimes people realize they've seen it. If you've ever seen somebody left behind, it is quite a sight because a lot of people that are on, uh, it, it changes, getting stuck behind on a cruise ship changes the trajectory of your vacation. Now, for wealthy people, they don't really give a shit and stuff like that. Do they? They spend, you know, it's a modicum amount of their share of their income for their thing. They miss it. They can say, I'll just fly. I'll just get a ticket and fly to the next port. And meet him there. No problem. I'll, you know, it, it, th- that probably rarely happens. For, for most people, it's a tremendous inconvenience to miss that ship. Either you don't, you either get a ticket to the next port or you go back home. Or you go back home. If it's not convenient, you meet him, stuff like that. And if you're separated, if you're with a party that one of your parties left behind, depending on how significant that person is to you, it becomes a bigger and bigger deal. And on a ship where you have 3,000 passengers, there's bound to be on, let's say, a seven-day cruise with like four stops. There's bound to be one or two or three or whatever, how many people are left behind. And you can't guarantee whether your tour guide or bus breaks down, you go on a bus and say, well, listen, it's going to be back in one hour. If you're 45 minutes away and your bus breaks down and you're coming back, you know, they will not, they will not hold the ship up. They will maybe give you a grace period of five, 10 minutes, but that's pretty much it. And, uh, 
the friends we were with would always kind of cut it close to that. But they weren't the ones that run. They weren't the ones that run. But you'd think, I have always had a sneaking suspicion that the people were running or the people that were walking, you see, it wasn't their first time. So, I mean, that's their routine, being late. I picked up girls. I used to take girls on dates and they'd never be ready. I went to a fancy restaurant. I the one This one restaurant in Philadelphia, I heard about it for a year. It just had opened. It was called uh, Brasserie Perrier. I may have told you this story before, but I was taking this woman I was seeing and I told her I had these reservations, and it's a and she knew it was a nice restaurant. I said to dress up nice to do this and stuff, and she did. She she did, but she wasn't ready. And we were about twenty miles or thirty miles from the restaurant because she was in the northern suburb of the city, and I lived inside the city. I was generally about fifteen to twenty minutes from this restaurant, but she was about thirty. Once you get on the turnpike. And about 15 minutes left before a reservation, we're getting in the car. And I knew it. There was no way we could get there. There was a way. I could go 120 miles an hour. I don't think I was going to go 120 miles an hour in the car I had at the time. So I would be lucky that it was go 90 miles an hour. But I wasn't going to try to make up the time that way. And I don't recall exactly, I don't, I did not have a cell phone at that time. I don't know how I informed, I think I called from the girl's apartment, that, or house, that we were going to be late for a reservation. And when uh, she heard me talking to them, and I think it was almost the time of the reservation, it was definitely within 15 minutes of the reservation. We're 30 miles away. We're not going to make it on time for the reservation. I knew it was a restaurant. I knew very, a very exclusive restaurant. I knew it was going to, uh, there was a lot of people waiting for tables and stuff like that. So I said, listen, we're going to be late. I understand. Could you put me in again? Now, once the woman heard this, she was very angry. And it was was for the whole ride there, she was kind of put off by it. But then again, I may have been, I may have portrayed that as like, hey, listen, this is what I got to do because you are not ready. You know, she knew the time for the reservation. She knew how far away it was. But there we go. We ended up having a lovely time and stuff like that. But it always seemed to be that way with her and and it's not necessarily a woman thing but that was her routine and I just thought how long do you have to do these things is that really I mean how long do you have to do these things that are frenetic and things for people to decide they have to change it change their habits these routines that they have if a routine works for you then you keep it if you don't you, you try to change it. And that's what happened you know, a couple of days ago. I found out this behavior I was doing, which is kind of a routine of behavior. And then I recognized I was doing it. 
And just the recognition part may may help me. Just the recognition that it happens helps me. I'll tell you right now what it was. I always acted slightly different among around women I found attractive. And I will always kind of seek their approval. No matter what relationship I was in. And it wouldn't be that I would pursue it much further than that. When I say trying to seek their approval. Just going out, going out further and further. And that would be concerning myself with what other people's views of me were. I don't, you can tell by the podcast, if I really concerned myself with what people's views of me, I would have learned how to podcast better, make better sound choices with uh, my setup here. But when it comes to uh, women, it was always that thing. When I, I, I don't know what happened to me, how that became that way. When I was a young lad, I always kind of liked, I guess when I was, I guess when I really started noticing girls, I was like 10, 11, 12. And I found them pretty and cute. Didn't know what to do with them because I was just a kid. We didn't have access to the internet, so I had no idea, and I grew up Catholic, so I had no idea about sex. I knew a little about what a kiss was. I heard about sex. I didn't know exactly what it was. I knew somewhat of the parts that were involved, but I was always intrigued by it. And then I slowly crept up. I had some interest from, you know, I always enjoyed getting interest from girls whenever I moved to a new place it was, I'd be the new kid and sometimes I'd get some wanted attention from somebody I thought was cute and I think that carried on all through the years not so much in high school as much I tried but you know I went to an all boys school there wasn't a lot of distraction there that was great for me I realized with this fascination again approval from women I was attracted to I may have in a co-ed environment I would have been worried about how I was acting more than I was. I kind of portrayed myself, you know, you portray yourself among men or males differently than you do females when you're slanted that way. That's your interest, right? So I go through this stuff in the last year or two, uh, uh, two years of high school, I start getting, you know, meeting girls, start finding my legs like one of those newborn fawns. You just, I'm finally at 16, 17, 18, I'm finding it. And then college rolling around, I'm getting my run legs. And I know a modicum of how to do it. I'm, 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 I'm not an in-depth, smart guy with these dealings of the, with the fairer sex when I'm in college. But I'm, I'm doing I'm so, I try to be somewhat charming, fun. And then in, you know, after post-college and things like that, that's when you start really doing that. You have some significant relationships with last a year or less or months or less or weeks and less or days and less or one night. And then you have all these relationships and you're always doing, you're always thinking about the next one, laying the groundwork for the next relationship, just in case. 
just in case you lose because the first couple relationships I had were kind of serious relationships. I wasn't, I had a couple, you know, short term where you go on dates and stuff like that, and you know, once or twice, but then uh, for the first years in college and after college, I, for a couple years, I had long term relationships, which lasted six months or a year or a little longer. But I was always trying to set the next one up. And I got into this routine of always getting ready to set the next one up. Because I don't want to be left high and dry. It's like being um, one of those animals that hide food all around. The squirrel hiding your nuts, getting ready for winter. That would, I would be you know, setting up these next relationships or testing the waters, trying not to, you know, staying in practice. You know, I say, you know, oh, I broke up. I'll move on to this next one. So you do it, 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 you do it every day. And then you stop realizing that you're doing it. Then you get married. And then you're still looking. And you're still looking. Because you're thinking, just in case, just in case. And you don't even realize those things. Now, when I got out of the my when I was married in 2000 I kind of knew I was interested in other women other than my wife but I never really acted on it other than the light flirtation and then I got separated and divorced and then I went out there for a, a year and a half and then I met Abby And these behaviors that you have, or I have, are so ingrained for years that you don't even realize it. And you think it's just part of life. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And it's adding angst to your thing. And it's not even, it's not, it's even, you think it's nothing. You think it's nothing, but it's really something in in there. And I always, I always would wonder why I would be anxious about talking about an interaction I had to to my significant other Abby. And I said, if I had anxieties because I was not comfortable saying it, and if I wasn't comfortable saying it, it's because I wasn't comfortable with my motivations. Why was I doing it? And I don't even realize that. But if I'm comfortable talking about, hey, I saw this person, they were blah, 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 and talking about them, then I'm not ashamed. Then I realize I did the right thing, probably. And it was only this past week that I really realized I do. I was still seeking approval. And it's probably a, just a mishmash of me trying not to feel old. Or not to feel unattractive. Uh, people say, well, that's probably why you work out. And I say, well, in my head still, the way I work out so I can work better and feel better about myself. My self-image. And I am not running around today. Today I am on the podcast and I'm not doing a podcast in order to seek approval of young, beautiful women. 
or beautiful women. When I say young, beautiful women, I'm talking about women my age and younger, not too young. Because young to me is 30s now. And it's a sad thing just saying that young to me is 30s. <laughs> so this is, this is me trying to break my routine and try to create a new one. Speaking of new routines, I've recently switched from recently, two days ago. I've had since, think about the progression of technology. In 2000, I got my first cell phone. And since 2000, I always had a cell phone. It went from, you know, flip, 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 you know, or whatever, Nokia, non-flip. And then eventually, a couple of years later, flip, phone. I don't know, a flip phone is just a phone you fold, stuff like that. Younger people, if you are crazy enough to be listening to an older, the, the old keys bartender, yes, there used to be phones that flip. And they, you may still see them. They sell them to older people and stuff like that. I don't have that. In 2007, 2008, when they started rolling out with smartphones, I may have been a little late, maybe like a year, a year or so, 2008, 2009. I had this uh, Motorola Rugby. It was like a metal phone and stuff like that. and Just... Nothing could happen to it. it. Wouldn't break. You could run over it with a car, or I wouldn't suggest you run over it with a car. But it was it was for people that were rough with their cell phones. And then I went from that to a to an Android. And for fifteen years or thirteen years, I was using Androids, Samsungs, Motorola's, and things like that. And people say. Why don't you get an iPhone? Get an iPhone. Get an iPhone. And I had this thing about people got iPhones because everyone has an iPhone. Everyone wanted an iPad because there's other things. What do I need it for? I needed to do this. I needed to make phone calls. I need to access my emails, the internet, pay some bills. And as time went along, more things were went. Then you know, then you had social media. That's an addiction. That's a whole show unto itself, social media. People spend the whole day paging through it, looking at pictures. Looking at pictures of beautiful women. And I'm not talking about porn. I'm just talking about people on that friend you on the internet. I, uh, back when I started creating all my side gigs, my side companies, which I still have two, which one is the Keys Bartender and the other is Keys Notary, I started, uh, someone said I was a friend collector. And yeah, I, I collected a lot of friends and used my position as a bartender to kind of leverage me into uh, making contact with people. And I, I always thought and said, well, what is better, you know, than having 4,000 people you are in contact with on social media? I mean, there's towns out there that would have been happy to say, if I could send out 4,000 mailers, it would be great. And then I realized in my head, you know, it depends on what kind of 4,000 or 5,000 people you're friends with, whether they're they're customers or people that just friended you back and they're never contacting somebody. Well, it's just like the newspaper when you drop off. We have a newspaper down here called the Free Press. And I have no idea how many editions they print. Let's say they print 5,000 editions every week. 
I would wager to guess only 2,500 of those editions get read. And so for all the cost of them doing it, and they have the advertising and stuff like that, you get like 2,500 people's eyes on that. And I said, well, that if I can get 2,500 people's eyes on whatever I'm doing business-wise, that would be great. That would be great. You know, every so I, I do use social media for social things. Primarily, I should post pictures of my wife, daughter, on vacations, things we're doing. Uh, observations, sometimes I got, I got a little political on there. I, I realize that. But my primary intent of gathering all these people is just to get access to more people. And say, you know, get my business in front of more eyes. And people say, well, I know he does this. When I did a delivery company, I had a delivery company, and then all of a sudden, all these fucking options for online delivery came up. And then the transportation, and this is when Uber wasn't down here yet, and it was just the small company, and I, and then it got bigger and bigger, and I said, I am not competing with, competing with Uber. But there are people down here that do their transportation companies and stuff like that, and now that you know, the cost actually you can make a decent living uh, do not with Uber. I mean doing transportation, but I thought in my head, I said, I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna compete with a company that's driving the prices down. And then all this time I was using Android. And when I did the podcast, I always had a problem doing what would you call Oh, God, I'm thinking of the word. But there's fellow podcasters. They said, listen, we're going to go tit for tat reviews. You know, we're going to listen to your podcast, we'll review it. I'm the, you listen to my podcast and you review it and give us a rating. And with the eye on, you're going to give a good rating to a fellow podcaster just to beef up the number of ratings you have or reviews you have. And I don't have, I don't have a ton of reviews. I don't. I have about 50 on all together, maybe a hundred. Five years, that's not that many. That's my fault. And part of that fault is that I didn't have an iPhone. And with an Android, it was virtually impossible to leave a review on like iTunes. Everyone wanted an iTunes review. Everyone wants an iTunes review. And in order to do an iTunes review, I have to uh, take possession of my daughter's iPhone or my wife's iPhone and say, listen, can I listen to this and not take possession? Ask them if I can use it and then review someone else's. Now, last week I finally, I've had so many, uh, so many difficulties with my habit of saying, no, I won't get iPhones because of proprietary technology and the pain in the ass and iCloud and all this stuff and updates. And then I say, you know what, since most people in the field that I'm working tend to use Apple products or tend to use media through Apple products, it might be a good idea for me to start making my transition. I did do that. And you know what, there is a lot of similarity between physically moving and on... uh, Virtually moving. Okay. Uh, Maybe not so much the physicality of moving your 
furniture and all your possessions from one place to another. But there is a lot of things where there you're, you are moving. You're moving applications. You're moving information. You're moving contacts. You're moving, and the more and more you've been doing it over the years, the longer it, the process. Just like if when you have a house with a lot of knickknacks and memorabilia, pieces of furniture, a big piece, big ass piece of furniture that you need like four guys to move. There was. Uh, one time years ago, my ex-wife had me help a, one of her friends move a a walnut a china cabinet or buffet table. I think a buffet table it is, which is not. It's bigger than a china cabinet. It's just longer, and it weighed. It felt like, and I'm going to try to be accurate. Three hundred pounds. Three hundred pounds. And uh, maybe a little less than that because me and my friend moved it. We had to move it down a half flight of stairs and things like that. And it was so freaking heavy. So freaking heavy. And the process of moving from one technology to another has been eased nowadays. You could just do, they have applications and say move from Android to this. But it doesn't move everything. You just got to remember, not everything is compatible and there's a different process to how you access your information, how you turn off your phone, how you drain your, how the applications run, how you, you know, the different ringtones and how you answer a phone and how your, I, I use my, I, I didn't, I, I did realize that I use it for virtually everything. I do my indoor cycling class. That which I lead. I have all my music on there. And that's going to be interesting. I'm going to have to, I guess Friday, I'm going to, I'm just realized this, I'll probably take my old phone there. Because I still have, you know, I still have it going. I'll just take my old phone there and then I'll, at the end of class, maybe I'll just mess around with the other one. The new one. But yeah, that's, it's, it's, it always seems no matter what happens, there's always, like when you, you, when you move over, there's always one application that you don't have and you think in your head, I can't really get rid of the old phone. It would have been much easier if I lost the whole phone because then I'd have no option. I just have to go and look for it. I have to look for all my passwords and then go and download these things. And because most of the information doesn't reside on the phone anymore, other than pictures, now you have the cloud, which I used. I use Google for a lot of that. And, you know, it's, it's photos. Fortunately, I don't have the amount of photos that people have. Remember, Think about the amount of pictures people had. If you you go back 160 years, you were lucky to have one photograph. It was called a tintype, I think it was, pre-Civil War. We had to stand still and you had the gunpowder in a little flat, kind of like T-shaped bar. In the top part of the bar, they had the um, flash powder. And that's how they would uh, ignite that while they're taking a picture to give you enough light to get 
the, the picture and then you'll be lucky to have one photograph ever taken and you pay dearly for that one photo. And as time went on, photography got more accessible. And then in the early part of the 20th century, you have an album of a couple pictures. Some mostly still formal photos and stuff like that. It's unusual. And World War II, then more and more photos. People started having cameras of their own and taking their own pictures and going to uh, a, a photographic, whatever, the pharmacy or whatever that developed your photos. And in the 50s and 60s, you had uh, Polaroids and uh, going on. Onto more access to cameras, more access to cameras, and pictures and pictures, and people have boxes of pictures. Then, the 21st century. I mean, the electronic photography um, or using uh, imaging. I guess it's the imaging technology has really revolutionized the way we take pictures. People use their phones now instead of using, you had digital cameras and then they came with phones. And the storage increased where, you know, people could just take as many photos as they want without deleting any. And they didn't realize once you take 10,000 photos, who has time to look through 10,000 photos? It would seem that the accessibility to have multiple photos and hundreds of photos, thousands of photos, made the viewing of those photos less likely. So people have photos they've only seen once and may never be seen again. Just walk in. If you walk into a a big library where there's 10,000 books, You could be overwhelmed and, you know, 100,000 books, 200,000 books. How many books are you going to read? You can only read one at a time. Well, read one in front of you at a time. You could take out a couple books, but you can only read one at a time. Same thing with photos and stuff like that. You get overwhelmed. There's so much of them and you know you're not going to see all of them. You know you're not going to see all of them. I mean, you'd have to be a very disciplined person, very disciplined person, and resolute person, when you go on vacation, say, well, each time I go out, if we're at one place, I'm going to keep the best photo. I'm going to delete the rest. I'm going to keep, you know, there's, if there's five or three, if there's three photos to keep, I'm going to keep. But, you know, people go to the zoo and they get 100 photos. 100 photos. Easy. Some more. And video. So you're inundated with all these pictures and you get so much of it, you don't even really listen to it. Same as with information and stuff like that. you got all these channels and stuff like that. The more channels there are, it seems like the less things there are to watch or less quality programming to watch. Yeah, I realize and people say, wow, what a nightmare. You mean when you were growing up, there was only three major channels and public television in the big city. There was four, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS. There was the 
Susan, I'm sorry I'm late. Traffic is terrible. It sure is. But on top of that, gas prices have been skyrocketing. I can't believe how expensive gas has gotten recently. Prices at the pump are up, but I never pay full price for gas anymore. I just use the free Upside app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get paid cash when you buy gas with the Upside app? Yes, I get real cash back every time I buy gas. And does that actually add up to anything? I've made around $200. Wow, that's serious extra extra cash. I'm downloading the free Upside app now. Download the free Upside app to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SIMPLE for an extra 25 cents per gallon cash back on your first fill up. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, to PayPal, or any gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SIMPLE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SIMPLE for 25 cents per gallon cash back on your first fill up. That and there was public television. There's four, and then you had local channels, and there was a smaller—I forget if it's UHF or VHF—but it was one. It was one that went above channel 13, and they were all the local stations that weren't really affiliated with networks, and they'd have like whatever crazy local shows on it as possible and show some old movies and stuff like that. And that was your choices. And people when they talked about, well, this is, they know what's pretty much on CBS, NBC, ABC. They People would know it's Friday night or Sunday night, six million or whatever, when the $6 million man was on or where, or when, uh, let's say McMillan wife or Columbo, or the Jeffersons, or All in the Family. They they knew what night it was and knew what channel it was. Now we have hundreds of channels. And the quality, every so often you get a really good show, but generally there's a lot of shit out there. So more is not necessarily better. Think of the Golden Corral. Unlimited amounts of food you can eat. Is it better than a Smith, a Smith and Walensky's? I think not. Is it cheaper? Yes. So we sacrifice choice for quality. And that's probably the things we got to do with routine. That we got to, you know, streamline, get rid of the, the routines that are numerous that don't really help us and think about the ones that really do help us be a little more choosy about it and and say well you know this routine me getting up and watching the news for two hours and stuff like that and get all the press when I see all the bad news is not the way to go when I have to go into work or for me personally not and same you know that goes for that watching TV behaving as I did before seeking approval from people I really don't know or shouldn't be concerned about. When I say concerned about, I don't mean not concerned about their well-being or concerned about their approval and trying to seek it and or seek their attention. So I was a roundabout way to get to, to that 
thing. I know people say for a couple of weeks, I was talking about the Ukraine. It is kind of, it is sad. It is something we have to um, deal with. Um, we actually don't have to deal with it in all actuality. You don't have to deal with Ukraine if you don't want to. But the problem with that would be that we, when you don't deal with a bully, they have a tendency to keep on bullying and they reach out and reach out and act out, act out, act out, go further and further. And if you're nearby, they can impose their demands on you. And that's one of the things. And some people just through experience, you think, well, we could just let them have it. Just let them have it. You think they'll be satisfied then? No. He's looking to his, you know, establish the world through his eyes. The world he wants through his eyes. I'm talking about Putin. And at this moment, the Ukraine is dealing with the reality he hopes to impose. And we're thinking, well, maybe that's not up, that's not up to you. That's up to the people residing in the Ukraine and maybe... You know, and he's going to try to, he's saying, well, listen, if I have to destroy the whole country, I will impose my will on them. And the people of the Ukrainians say, well, listen, we will resist that. And we as members of NATO decide to go, I will help you in that. Because eventually, if we don't stop them, it could be Poland or the Baltic states. Next. So that's that's the reason why I felt that way, not only because my wife is Polish and she has some Ukrainian uh, ties through her grandparents. I'm hoping everything turns out well, but there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering up to that point. People say, well, why would you concern yourself with that? Why would you concern yourself about the environment? Because in the end, it all does affect you. You're going to feel the effects about it. You're going to live your life, not concerned about it, but you have to have a proper amount of perspective. Do I spend 3% of my efforts of the day doing it or 100%? I'm spending only 3%, but I'm still spending 3%. So if you have a need to want to be helpful and help out the people of Ukraine, there are plenty of charities. And I kept on um, reiterating uh, there, you know, the, there are religious charities and things like that, but the two, my two favorite are Doctors Without Borders and Save the Children or uh, the Catholic, uh, what's it, Catholic Relief? Yeah, but I mean, you, 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 have to, you have to do a little research because they're not all charities are created equal and they don't deliver, uh, some don't deliver as high a percentage of your donation dollar for, you know, it could be like 70 cents on a dollar. It could be 80 cents on dollars. Really bad charities. You got to watch out do like 10 cents on a dollar. And that technically is still considered a charity. Yes, I know. It's crazy. Well, thank you very much for listening. I'm I'm sorry for wrapping it up like that, but have a great day and I will talk to you later. Bye.
And now an update on what some analysts and reporters are calling the great resignation and the upside of it all. As many as 44% of workers are leaving their nine to fives behind and looking for life hacks to make up the difference in income as they pursue other jobs. And as that number grows, so have downloads of an app called Upside. It's a free app for cash back on gas, groceries, and at restaurants. Can an app like Upside really make a difference? You bet. With Upside, users can earn an average of $96 a year. And it works at all the big gas brands like Shell, BP, Valero, Philips 66, Circle K, etc. And at favorite local grocers and restaurants. Everyone's got to drive and eat, right? If you want to get in on this life hack, we have a promo code for you. Head to the App Store or Google Play and download Upside. Enter code HACK to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first fill-up. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, to PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use code HACK. And now an update on what some analysts and reporters are calling the great resignation and the upside of it all. As many as 44% of workers are leaving their 9 to 5s behind and looking for life hacks to make up the difference in income as they pursue other jobs. And as that number grows, so have downloads of an app called Upside. It's a free app for cash back on gas, groceries, and at restaurants. Can an app like Upside really make a difference? You bet. With Upside, users can earn an average of $96 a year. And it works at all the big gas brands like Shell, BP, Valero, Philips 66, Circle K, etc. And at favorite local grocers and restaurants. Everyone's got to drive and eat, right? If you want to get in on this life hack, we have a promo code for you. Head to the App Store or Google Play and download Upside. Enter code HACK to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first fill-up. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, to PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use code HACK.